Stories generally act a lot on us, primarily because they give shape to how we build relation. Think about how much relation between humans that spring from stories such as America as a land that embodies specific qualities, be that freedom or greatness or whatever. This kind of story produces a lot of relating between people. And that is the part of story, stories, that particular aspects of story that I understand as mythic, the way that stories build relation. And I have a little uh, YouTube playlist on my channel that uh, talks about mythology from this perspective. Basically, the reason that the Bible is a very different kind of story from Mickey Mouse or that the tales of Odin are a very different kind of tales from Batman is that mythic stories shape human relating in much more intense and comprehensive ways. Nobody ever thanked Mickey Mouse for, for the recovery of a sick child or called on Batman's blessing before going into war, right? That is not to say that Batman or Mickey Mouse could not have mythic aspects to them somehow, aspects by which even they also somehow model or shape human uh, relation or try to do it. Generally, this is a much less prominent feature for this kind of literary figures than it is for actual other than human persons such as Jesus or Odin. However, sometimes literature really does start to play a very, very mythic relation-making role in, in our culture. And here I will just mention one absolutely atrocious example of that. And that is the 1954 novel The Lord of the Flies by the Nobel Prize winning author William Golding and the consecutive movies of that same name. I will talk about this story as mythic because it is very much a story about human relating and it is a story that has been uh, applied in Western societies as this kind of cautionary tale in order to actively model human relating. And not incidentally, perhaps, the name of the story is actually high mythology. The name Belzebub or Baal Sebub is in fact Hebrew for Lord of the Flies. And uh, it is one of the seven princes of hell, which represents gluttony and envy and these kind of things. So in this myth about how Belzebub manifests among humans, there is a group of British boys and they find themselves stranded on this uninhabited island uh, where they have to figure out how to govern themselves. However, as all good right-wingers will know, Humans are fundamentally nasty beings who, left to their own devices, will be violent, abusive, ty tyrannical and oppressive towards each other, who will fling themselves heedlessly into submission to the psychopathic delusions of those egomaniacal personalities who will inevitably take power and create little fascist cults and dominate communities through the worst possible of human potentials. That is pretty much uh, what the story uh, and the moral of humanity that we know from the story uh, of Lord of the Flies. The story takes place on this little island, a little Pacific island, and the behavior of these 
British boys seems to sort of model this 1950s sort of Donald Duck style white stereotype of Pacific Islanders as an icon of the barbaric and cruel savages. It is as if landing on this island will somehow make them into this cliché white imagination of native islanders. They paint themselves, they dance around fires, they worship a cult driven by their irrational fear of a monster that lives inside a cave. Like The story has an absolutely idiotic reflection on what religion is. And remarkably, incredibly actually, this story, The Lord of the Flies, has been pounded into generations of young westerners. This story has been read in high school classes by generations, as if we wanted to thump as deeply as possible into all children as we possibly could this story about the nastiness of humanity imaged in these British boys degenerating into imagined native islanders. This then becomes a myth that serves to uphold structures of power in our society and I think it's a kind of a twisted cautionary tale about how we might devolve into loss of humanity if we leave our social structures. This, however, is not the only possible story. In fact, the uh, Dutch historian Rutger Bregman has uh, striven to make the world aware that the Lord of the Flies actually happened in real life. In 1957, six boys did in fact end up on an uninhabited island where they managed to survive uh, for an impressive time span, more than a year. The real Lord of the Flies story is, in Bregman's words, almost in every way the complete opposite you know, to Golding's satanic Belzebub myth of evil humanity, the story that you know. What uh, actually happened is a story about human resilience, friendship, cooperation. The real Lord of the Flies story, the one that actually flippin' happened, that is a left-wing story. Bregman, he sums up the moral as the survival of the friendliest. Because according to Bregman's investigations, these six boys, they managed fairly well. They worked with what was there. I actually spoke to Tyson Juncker-Porter about this story, and he has also looked at it. And, um, and he notes that how they build a system of, of uh, governance based on what was already there. They let the, their law flow from the land, and they solved disputes. They collaborated to survive on this uh, uh, volcanic islands for an impressive time span of 15 months. And now comes... Another amazing little twist on this real story of Lord of the Flies, as opposed to Golding's Donald Duck version of what happens when boys are isolated on an island. These boys that actually experienced the Lord of the Flies isolation, they were indigenous Pacific Islanders. Yup. A good part of them, not all, but a good part of them were Tongans, native people of Tonga, and they were exactly the kind of people that Golding used as this underlying paradigm for the image of savagery in his Lord of the Flies story. The savage Pacific Islander who is essentially nasty and brutal, you know, this image of basic uncivilized humanity. 
That's how Tongans were viewed. There are old tales about how missionaries were caught in Eden by such Tongan savages. You could almost formulate Golding's moral with these Tongan boys as an example. When nice civilized British boys get stripped of their control mechanisms of civilization, then voila, what do you have left? Tonga brutal savage cannibals who live in retrograde superstition of demonic beings. You know, the entire colonial idea of the animalistic, uncivilized, indigenous persons. And I think this really brings home, or it, it brings into relief, how monumentally wrong story Golding's Lord of the Flies really is. Because in reality, the real Lord of the Flies, the boys were Tongans already, and what they teach us is the completely opposite moral about human nature. The survival of the friendliest. So Rutger Bregman, um, he says uh, that this is a story that needs to be told. And uh, I think it needs to be told not only as a piece of history, which is Bregman's domain, but also as a myth. The actual real island story about the Tongan boys uh, needs to be told as a model for relating, as a story, and not as a cautionary tale, but as a positive tale about relation. And it is also an incredible image about how deeply wrong of a wrong story can sometimes be allowed to dominate our myth weaving and thereby shape our community. It's also an incredible image of what happens when we allow these dark ghosts of our imagination of other to occlude the actual other from the conversation. The savage cannibal islander is actually a teacher of humanity, kindness and collaboration. So uh, check out this incredibly sympathetic guy, Rutger Bregman, online and uh, perhaps his book uh, about the essential kindness of humanity, Humankind. And uh, please let us follow Bregman's example and question the myths that shape relating and thereby give uh, shape to our communities. And let us remember and tell the beautiful real story of... Uh, well, it's not a story of Belzebub, Lord of the Flies, but the real story of survival of the friendliest. Let's call it that. See you around.